Today's episode of the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. I'm really pleased today to welcome John Gigengack to the podcast. Now, John is the founder and principal of Hub Entertainment Research, where they really are the foremost experts when it comes to all things entertainment, from TV to movies, to gaming, sports, sponsorships, and consumer technology, all sorts of good stuff. Now, that's a whole lot to keep up with, uh, but John somehow finds time to front a totally legit country rock band called Whiskey Horse. And speaking from experience, I've seen some of the video, man, people have a good time when they go see Whiskey Horse because uh, they're really good. <laughs> so super cool. We'll talk about all of that and more on today's podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Totally. Really happy to have you. So, so let's, let's start with research, right? So, so you founded um, Hub, uh, something like, I guess, close to 10 years ago now. Uh, yeah, it'd be 10 years, 10 years next year. So that's pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really impressive. That's an awfully good run. Um, but let's, let's go all the way back. Now, how'd you, how'd you get into research in the first place? And then, you know, how did you find yourself founding Hub? Uh, well, you know, way back, probably like in the late 90s, I was doing sales for a software company. And there was a friend of mine that was working for a research company. And she told me about, uh, about her job and the kinds of things that she did. And, you know, basically worked for all kinds of interesting clients, companies I'd heard of. And, and her job was to kind of figure out the answers to the, the tough questions that they, that they had. And that sounded like an incredibly cool job. So I, yeah. so I applied for a job at her company, uh, Ended up working there as a, as a project manager for a long time. Then I went to work for a company called CMB in Boston. Really, really good research company. Chadwick Martin Bailey. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So I worked there for about ten years, and uh, and there I had primarily a, a sales role, so going out and getting new clients for the company. But I really liked the uh, the research end of things, and, and had some experience with that. So whenever we got a cool project, I would I would kind of try to insert myself on the project team and have a role in working on the project too. Right. And uh, doing business development, I could kind of go out and target the the kinds of companies I was interested in. So I really like TV and movies. Play a ton of video games. Uh, you know, list, obviously participate in music, like we'll talk about. And so I would go out and target those kinds of companies. And around maybe around 2012, we had done kind of a self-funded research study on, you know, what we call the golden age of television. So it was a little while after Netflix had started streaming, um, but they still had pretty much that whole market to themselves. And uh, and we called the study the golden age of TV, you know, not realizing that every research study for the next six or seven years was going to be called that. <laughs> but it was uh, just the amount of interest we got from from media companies and different kinds of entertainment companies really just kind of blew me away. It was far bigger than anything else that we've done uh, that we had done at the time. And uh, it seemed to me that the the time was perfect for starting a company just focused on technology and entertainment, uh, just even in just limiting it to TV. You know, there are these giant billion dollar companies, you know, multi-billion dollar companies, obviously, uh, that every consumer participates in. Uh, 
and had somehow you know avoided technological disruptions for about 50 years but now we're going to have to go through all of that change in a really compressed period of time right. and uh and it just seemed like there was a lot of questions that all these companies had in common and that would be pretty easy to address with research and that there wasn't a lot of information out there already so that was kind of the the genesis of starting the company and uh, most of our work is in tv and movies but we also do some stuff in gaming um, uh, we do quite a bit of music. Uh, we're getting into podcasting and things like that too. So basically everything now, all kinds of entertainment that all come through that broadband pipe into your house or into the little mini computer that everybody has in their pocket. Uh, they're all kind of competing for people's disposable time now. So it turned out to be a really good, uh, a good time to make that move. And it's been an eventful, you know, almost, almost 10 years now. Um, yeah. but that's, that's the, that's the reason that I did it. And that's what, that's what we focus on. Now, uh, was it, was it scary for you to go from working for a company to putting up your own shingle and starting from zero? Hell yes. Yes, it was. I had a, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, the, the first couple of studies we did, I just, I just kind of paid for them myself out of my pocket and gave them away for free to clients, uh, to try to get, you know, interest in the company, interest in the work. Um, and probably the first year I probably took about a 90% pay cut. Yeah. Uh, but once, you know, once you start, you kind of can't, uh, you can't stop. You have to go, you just have to go. It's kind of like, remember in the Roadrunner where Wiley Coyote would kind of nail the boards together yeah. and they would sort of just levitate and then he, and then he would only fall when he looked, when he looked down, the whole thing would fall apart. So it, yeah. that, that's kind of what starting a business reminded me of is just not looking down and just uh, continuing to move forward no matter what. And then, you know, eventually it, it, I think in many, in many cases, if you do that, eventually it'll, it'll work out, but it certainly was uh it was pretty scary. I've got, I've got three kids. I had one of them was getting ready to start college and oh, I remember sitting wow. in the, uh, in the, uh, the meeting that you go to when they're juniors and they, and they, you know, the guidance counselors up in the front of the room, they tell you how much college is going to cost. And I remember just sitting there thinking, mm, this is, yeah. not sure how this is going to work out, but, but, uh, yeah, but they gave me a goal to shoot for and everything, you know, it all, it all worked out fine. I think if you, most of the time, if you just, keep your head down and work hard and don't think about failing. I think, I think most people can make this kind of thing work. Yeah. Wow. That's uh that's quite a time to make, to make a shift like that. It's got to take some real conviction and, and belief that you're doing something meaningful that, uh, that, you know, fills a gap in the market. Yeah, I think so. I mean, so I started the company when I was like 40 and I think if I tried to do it before then, it would have been a lot harder. Like I would have had more energy, maybe, well, not more energy, but I would have had fewer, I wouldn't have had kids for instance. Right. Uh, but I also wouldn't have had like the perspective and the connections and, and, you know, the people that I brought on as, as partners or people that work here, like I, they're all people that I knew personally in one way or another. Sure. So I wouldn't have had that network to draw on. So I think it would have been, um, it would have been a lot more difficult. And, and I think, you know, one, one way I've seen people screw up is just starting a business because they, because they want to start a business. And that's the, that's the reason for doing it. And I think the key is what you said, you have to know some problem that you can fix or something that you can do uh, in a different way or in a better way than what everybody else is already doing. Right. And, and, and that's the most important uh, ingredient, I think, at least in my experience. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. So let's, let, let's talk music. Cause I mean, Somewhere along the line, you got really good. <laughs> so when, when did you start playing? And uh, let's hear about your journey there. Yeah, well, I, uh, I actually didn't, I played piano when I was a kid. I didn't play guitar. I, I don't think I picked up a guitar until I was about 30. 
Oh, and, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, and honestly, I'm not, I'm not that great of a guitar player. If you watch those videos, you'll, you'll notice you can barely hear me playing at all. Everybody else has got <laughs> like two amps and uh, electric guitars. So there's, there's probably you a reason to that. You got the Marshall cabinet that's empty, no yeah. speaker inside. I, got, I, got, I just plug mine right into the board. I don't even get an amp. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but I, but I picked it up. In fact, I, uh, the guy that is the lead guitar player in my band now has been a friend of mine for about 25 years. And uh, so he gave me, you know, four guitar lessons 20 years ago when I first started playing. Yeah. Uh, and, and after that, he ended up moving away to Chicago. So we didn't see each other for a long time. But I really, you know, I think I think the key is like even when I even when I sucked, when I was terrible and I first started, I just really, really liked to do it. And like I literally like the Brian Adams song. I literally played it at first till my till my fingers bled a little bit. Not not a whole lot, but but some. <laughs> uh, and. Yeah, and then from there, I just kind of learned from watching uh, YouTube. In fact, I don't know how I don't know how people learned anything before you for, before YouTube. You can you can find out anything on there. Yeah. But uh, so I'm kind of I guess I'm kind of self taught in that regard. So my son signed him up for guitar lessons, and he after about two weeks, he knew a whole bunch of stuff that I had no idea about, really, really basic stuff. <laughs> Getting schooled by your son, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, all the musical theory and the. Uh, you know, reminded me where the where the different notes are in the next. So I just learned that by watching people do it on YouTube and kind of kind of emulating it. Yeah. Um, so that's how I that's how I started to play. And then my friend Stu, the lead guitar player, had moved back and he and he called me up because he said we need a. Uh, they had a band. I guess they had. I don't know if they. I think they had parted ways with the singer they had. So he said we need a singer. And he said I know you can play guitar too. And he knew that I like country music. Uh, among the kinds of music that I like. So, so he had me down to try out for that. And, and that was about five years ago. So been playing with them uh, ever since and been starting to get some, you know, it's probably my absolute favorite thing to do. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a really good band. We were talking earlier, like besides my friend Stu, who's been playing for about 40 years and just getting better all the time. Uh, two of the other guys went to Berkeley, you know, back in the eighties. So they're kind of career, they have other careers, but they're kind of career musicians and just really, really, really good. Yeah. So it's been uh, incredible for me just to play with those guys and just the amount that you can sort of absorb through osmosis, just watching them do what they do. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's, it's really, really fun. It's my, it's my favorite thing to do. And it's kind of like the perfect, um, which, which side of your brain is the artistic side? Is it the right brain or the left brain? Uh, but whichever, whichever side of my brain my job uses, like this uses the exact opposite part of it. Right. So it's a good, uh, it's, it's a good balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been fortunate the same way in the, the bands that I've played in. I've always managed to find players who are far better than me. I was always, I've always been the weak link, but that's a good place. That's, to how, I, that's how I feel too, kind of like imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, but I, I watched, I watched some of the videos of your band. That, that, that was a, you guys were tearing it up. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> Punk is underrated. There's even some, we do like some Shooter Jennings songs. He's sort of like a yeah, like punk slash country uh, cross. I think some of the best songs with the Drive By Truckers that used to be a punk band. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it makes for a really good crossover. Like you've yeah. got uh, even like Social Distortion, which you know borrows a lot from blues and. and we do the we we do a cover of the uh, of Social Distortion's cover of Maybelline. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. good. It's one of my favorite ones. I love it. I love yeah. it. Awesome. Okay, so you've you've been kind of following these these parallel paths. You started a business and then you started a band, right? Um, and like you said, they 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 borrow from different parts of your brain. But is is there anything that you've maybe learned from one side that you've been able to apply to the other? 
Yeah, I think I think there's a ton. Uh, well, just just in, in like songwriting, which I've taken some classes on that rem reminds me a lot of of my other job, because you're trying to take, you know, no, nobody really wants to listen to a song where where it's very like explicit and everything is on the nose and explained, you know, the, the best writers like the like the Bob Dylan's of the world. There's just a lot of metaphor. There's a lot of right. uh, where you you pick out the most important things to say and say them in kind of a very succinct way. And then the other person's brain kind of connects the pieces together and, and, and figures out what the story is. And I, and I think a good piece of research is like that too, where, you know, all of our studies, just like everybody else does, we come out with like a, you know, a hundred and something page deck that has all the data and all the findings. But the most important part is where at the beginning where we kind of boil it down right into six or seven or eight, you know, pieces of data that, form a narrative and and let people uh, come away with something that that you can mentally remember that you can mentally process whereas if you just dumped all this information on them there's that's really maybe even less helpful than having no information at all so that that process of kind of winnowing down all of this stuff into the most important pieces that tell a story those two things i think are really similar yeah you know i i really like that analogy and as you're talking i was kind of thinking through my head like the, the hundred page deck is sort of like free form jazz, right? It's like yeah, it's exactly. all the data doesn't have <laughs> any. Yeah, there's nothing to really grab onto, but you need the hooks, you know, you need yeah. that chorus, you need that that catchy bit that's like, okay, this is what I take away from the song. This is what's this is what's coursing through my head, you know, after I heard this this presentation. I remember these things, and that's what I'm gonna take. So yeah, I like that. That's cool. Cool. Um, all right, so. You're working in the entertainment space when it comes to research. And if I think about, you know, having worked in a lot of different industries and in research, for me, entertainment is really probably the most complex right now, especially over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. So very curious to know as you uh, think about the future uh, of research in the space, you know, what's what's emerging or what will become important. Um, well, I think one of the, you know, it is it is really complicated, like especially in the in the TV space, right? And that's because you have this this industry that was created back in the fifties, and right, and for most of the time that TV has been around, the people that were watching weren't the customers; they were the they were the products, so they were the ones getting you know getting bought and sold by the networks to advertisers, and right, they didn't have to worry too too much about keeping them happy. Uh, because there was only you know three or four networks to choose from, mm -hmm. and then they even had a uh, they even had a term back then called LOP, which is least objectionable programming. Which the strategy was that to to win viewers, all you had to do was have the least crappy show on TV <laughs> at, at any time slot because people and they and they were right. It was a good oh, strategy. <laughs> but you don't have to you don't have to come up with and spend millions and millions of dollars on the Terminal List or or Breaking Bad or whatever because you can just have you know, police chases or home videos on. And if that's the least crappy thing that's on, people will gravitate over to it. Yeah. And, and now, of course, with, you know, with this broadband pipe into everybody's house and everybody's pocket, the end users are the customer because they have tons of options and they can vote with their feet by going somewhere else. So mm -hmm. the industry has had to uh, adapt to people's preferences, which it didn't really have to do before. And there's also this, there's also all these complexities kind of inside baseball stuff, like with rights management and 
you know, why can I stream this show, but I can't stream that one? And why is where are these episodes on this platform, but the back, the back seasons are on this other one? Right. All these things that are ingrained in the TV industry, but that make no sense at all to consumers. Right. Yeah. So, and, and that complexity is, is, is a problem, especially when, you know, maybe you're competing with a company like, like Netflix that's generating, you know, tons and tons of its own content and doesn't have to worry about that as much as some of the other platforms do or where, um, or you're competing with video games that, that just suck up bigger and bigger and bigger amounts of time. Right. Uh, so all of that, all of that complexity is, is really hard for people to understand. And it's a challenge for the industry. And I think it builds into one of the really important things that's happening. You know, I think this is true of research in general, but especially in the media industry is that there's more sort of data lying around than ever for you to pick up and use. So all of the behavioral data from Nielsen, from Comscore, uh, a bunch of other newer companies like iSpot. Uh, Antenna is a really cool company that, that tracks people's subscriptions uh, through their credit card records. Oh, Which ones people are adding or dropping. And, uh, and I think the temptation is high to just rely entirely upon all that behavioral data. Um, but you, you, know, you still have to balance it with other data about, about why people are doing what they're doing or how they're behaving when you can't see them. There could be two people in your data set that behaviorally look exactly the same. Uh, but unless you get an idea of what else they're doing when you right. can't track them, uh, you won't know that maybe they're actually two really different people. Maybe one of them's a lot more of a valuable customer than the other. Uh, maybe one of them is a lot more accessible or has some particular distinctive thing about what they like to watch that you could use to pull them in and the other one doesn't. So I think one of the challenges for researchers is is not relying 100% on, on either one of those, you know, behavioral data or regular primary market research alone, but right. figuring out how do you kind of combine them into one thing that tells yeah. the most complete story. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. Um, I know, I, I just recall, <clears throat> like the promise of big data was, wow, you know, um, there's, a, there's a world with no questions because the data are already there, right? Um, but so often it's just, it's the primary secondary issue where, um, I have a very specific question that I want to answer yep. this exist, these existing data will kind of give me an idea, but it doesn't answer the question that I have. And then that's where primary research often comes in. But like you say, um, it's, it's the, it's the, com the combination of the two that can work together. So one plus one equals three kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, I think if you have so much data, sometimes it can be it can be misleading, uh, which which is worse than not having any data at all. If you, yeah. if you kind of assume that the answer's in here and you don't look, you don't look any further, and you don't sort of think outside uh, outside the box a little bit, it can be easy to uh, to miss stuff. And, and I think I think behavioral data, at least for it, it's it's the best kind of data for a lot of things that are really important, like. Um, like how much time people are spending or how much money they're spending. You can ask people questions about that, but they're notoriously bad at, exactly. at estimating that stuff. Right. Um, but you, but you can't tell from behavioral data, you know, why they're doing this or, yep. or is, and is this thing they're doing, is that really what they want to do? Or is there something else they'd rather do if it was an option? And all of those things are the kind of stuff that can, um, that can change behavior and can move people in one direction or another. And so I think it's really, really important not to, to miss that stuff. And, that, and that's what our, you know, that's our, our whole company's built around providing that data that explains the behavioral information that, that our clients are getting already from lots and lots of good companies 
But yeah. what can we what can we find out that will illuminate what that behavior means or or how they can influence it? Yeah, cool, cool, love it. Um, all right, so you uh, so you're charged with with measuring and making sense of all these media, right? So uh, when when you're looking to media for insight or uh, information or even enjoyment, what what kinds of sources do you turn to? When I'm, well, for enjoyment, I play I play a ton of video games. In fact, my uh, I haven't played as much lately because my because my PlayStation died, hard drive failure. <laughs> Ouch. And, uh, but I have I have an Xbox too, but it wasn't hooked up. But I but I was sort of relieved at how much time I wasn't spending playing that. Uh, so I just I just kind of let it go for for a while. But then but then I realized I have about a thousand dollars worth of games stored in the in my in the cloud or on my hard drive. So so <laughs> eventually I had to get. I did get a replacement, so but I do play a lot of video games, uh, and I watch a lot of TV and movies just to stay up on stuff. But yep. um, I'm trying to think of the stuff I'm watching right now. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Taylor Sheridan. Pretty much everything that he's he's written or done. So he did Sicario. He did Hell or High Water. He was actually an actor before that, and he was a and he was a cowboy. So he's in the uh, he's in the Texas uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame. Oh, and, crazy! <laughs> uh, and of course, now he's you know now he's written Yellowstone and 1883 and uh, and a couple of other shows that are on Paramount Plus. But I've been watching and rewatching tons and tons of his. I don't know if you've seen Yellowstone, but and you're here in Texas. Oh, you got to watch it too. I've seen okay. it. Like, I'm on my third time through. Uh, but but that's that's probably that, that's the kind of stuff I like to watch the most. And uh, and I'm a big fan of you know the, the West in general. So the, those shows are really great. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I noticed like with gaming in particular, um, if, if you're not a gamer, it's really hard to do insights in the gaming space because it's a, it's a whole culture, right? Um, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. Well, yeah. And plus if you're trying to do research and you're trying, it's kind of the same in the TV industry where if you're doing research, that's going to be used by creative people. So people that are actually making the shows and, and right. game designers even more so, uh, they're, you know, they're artists, so they kind of, they kind of look with suspicion yeah. on the idea that, that some kind of numbers or some kind of survey can tell me how to do my art better. And, uh, and if you don't have an appreciation for the art form, so if you don't like shows, if you don't like movies, if you don't play a lot of games, yeah. it's really hard to, to talk to them in a way that they'll, that they'll take seriously. And it, what you, you, you got to get the idea across to them that this research isn't trying to tell you what to do. It's trying to help you take your art and make it as commercially successful as possible when you're when yep. you're finished which which is something that everybody wants and everybody can kind of get behind that strategy yeah cool great point all right john here's a question that i really want to know okay so uh i'm very curious about this you're playing country music right um but but you've already alluded to the fact that that may not be uh the only genre of interest for you um but i gotta ask this so you're, you're stranded on a desert island right you've got three records of your choosing to keep you company for the rest of your days what are they uh, i think i'd add you two uh joshua tree ah yeah classic uh and i actually i grew up in philadelphia so i'm actually a huge hip-hop fan as well as country music if you can yeah. believe that uh so probably uh probably one of the public enemy cds maybe like fear of a black planet that's one of my favorites yes. and such uh, a great record yeah it's so good and uh, and then probably I'm listening to a ton of Whiskey Myers right now. I don't know if you've heard them. I haven't. Um, 
they're they're phenomenal they're kind of like uh they're kind of like the like maybe like the Leonard Skinner kind of reincarnated with some with some kind of hard rock thrown in there too but they're they're great right. so any, any one of any one of their albums like I, I listen to them on Spotify so I'm not even sure which albums I'm listening to right now but pretty much anything by them is great cool yeah I, I love that I'll, I'll check it out that's been one of the real benefits of doing this podcast is discovering all this new music yeah so really cool I appreciate it excellent well John great chat um really glad that we've had a chance to to meet um love it was my pleasure this, this is the most fun podcast I've, I've done I think <laughs> I'm glad to hear that I'm glad to hear that so super cool and I, I love your your insights about entertainment I mean for me that's kind of a black box space where I leave it to the experts kind of thing so really cool um so let's definitely stay in touch when I'm uh in your part of the country gotta see your band so that'd be great <laughs> let's do well, it I'll let you know <laughs> awesome all right thanks John thanks man <laughs> Thank you.